You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that uh, you're here with us. Thank you that you, <clears throat> you speak to us through your word and through each other. And so we ask today that you would help us again to see Jesus for who he truly is and to worship him as is the only right response when you see him as he is. In Jesus' name, amen. And all heaven reverberated. (laughs) Uh, Is that the bass? Is that what it is? Cello? Okay. Um, anyway, my name's Matt. Um, special morning. My, all three of my granddaughters happen to be here today. They're sitting over there. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, unbelievable joy in my life. And I know you're like, you can't be old enough to have three. I get you. Um, I am. Uh, anyway, I'm Matt. If I haven't met you or if you're new, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And um, I guess nobody's watching online this service because we only stream the first. So it's just us. So welcome. Glad you're here. Hope you guys had a great Easter celebration last weekend. Uh, we sure did here. It was great to see packed services and just good, good connections and great food and just a worship and celebration of our Lord. We're, we're dropping back into where we left off three weeks ago at John. We're going to be looking at chapter 9 today. It's, it's a lengthy passage, 1 to 41. It's the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. And so I'm not going to read it and then go back. We're just going to kind of read and go through it as we go. Um, you're going to see five conversations in this story, uh, more than a dozen questions, and then finally a concluding answer or conclusion that, that we see little context. Remember in chapter 8, right before this, Jesus was tangling it up again with the Pharisees, these religious leaders that that don't like him because he exposes their their sin and their their distortion of what what God's word actually says. And and they were talking about Abraham, and he was straightening them out, and they end up picking up rocks because they're going to kill him, and him and the disciples slip out of there. Do you guys remember that, chapter 8? Well, now they're still walking. Okay, so that's where we're going to pick up our story today. So chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, he said. This hap- but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus approaches this man. And we, we, don't, we, we know very little about him. John doesn't tell us very much about him. And one commentator says, the reason John doesn't tell us his name is it could be any one of us. And Jesus comes and he sees this beggar and he's begging because there's nothing else to do in that culture if you're blind except to starve. So he's begging. And don't miss the fact that Jesus saw him. We read over things like that, but Jesus sees even the most pushed aside, oppressed, broken, compromised, Jesus sees this man. He sees the suffering, those that many of us try to avoid, right? Jesus sees that. Sometimes we simply look like they do at suffering and we, we talk about it or maybe, maybe theologically try and explain, well, what's going on here? Not Jesus. Jesus. 
After disciples are, are, are after Jesus is done discipling the disciples, or the, the disciples, they're not going to be able to walk past somebody hurting like this ever again. They will be changed. This is why I love our ministry to Johnny and friends. We have a team of nine people going, led by these great, this great family right here this summer. And it's, it's a team that goes down and it serves families of, of those that have disability. And it gives them a break. You see them, right? We see them. And the reason they see them is because Jesus saw them first. And now they're following him. Or Terry McCurley, she's starting this Bethesda class next week. And this is, this is a six-week Bible study for adults with intellectual developmental disabilities. You know why Terry's doing this class? Because she sees them, just like Jesus saw her. And so I love that about Jesus, man. He, he sees us and he, call, he sees the least of us. And I put that in quotes, the seeming least of us. And he calls us to do the same. I love that about Jesus. This guy has been blind from birth his entire life. Never seen a sunset, never seen a sunrise, never been taken back by an amazing piece of art or waterfall or anything like that. Just darkness has been his only experience. And there was this understanding, this Jewish understanding in that day that, that those who were suffering like this, there, it was always attached to a specific sin. And that's why they asked the question, right? What's the problem here? Was it his fault or his parents' fault? What, what, why is this guy suffering? And, and they're, they're not talking about general sin, right? They're, they're not talking about Genesis 3, the, the fall, right? Where we, we, as mankind, turned our backs on God and sin entered the world. And, and why do people die? Sin. Why do people get sick? Sin. Why, why, do people, um, are, why are people broken in terrible relationships? Well, sin. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about directly a sin that directly made them that way. So who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? The rabbis dis discuss this question a lot. And it's a very contemporary question too, right? We ask this question, bad things happen to us or situations that come upon us. Why? Who, whose fault is it, right? We, we often think that we live in this moralistic kind of a mechanical world where good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, right? Or we have these ideas that, that heaven is full of good people who deserve to be there and hell is full of bad people that deserve to be there. And that's kind of a default religion that many embrace. Now, there's an old joke that's um, probably not worth repeating, so let's do it. There's this guy, this guy, he's in heaven, okay? And uh, he's just this ordinary average guy, a little quirky, a little odd, a little strange, not much to commend himself. He wasn't attractive. He wasn't successful in life. And, um, but he was a good man. And so his friends up there, they're saying, look at our friend over here. And he's got this, he's got this great sports car now. He's got this beautiful mansion. And this, he's got this motorhome behind the house in case he wants to travel around the heavenlies or whatever. He's got this beautiful wife, very accomplished, very, very intelligent on his, on his arm. And, and so this this, this angel comes up and it's explaining to these guys, well, yeah, that's, this is his reward. This guy lived a good life, and now, you know, this is his reward. And so his other friend says, well, what about the wife? And he's like, well, that's her punishment. I mean, you, you get, the, okay, sorry. I mean, you get the joke, though. We think like that, right? I mean, well, that, he's a good guy. That happened. She, well, that happened. So, um, and, and even, remember the story in the Old Testament. Remember Job, right? This righteous man had his life just, I mean, hell rained down on it. He lost everything. 
And his friends come, and they're sitting there, and they're like, listen, who has ever been innocent that, is, that, that, that perishes, right? I mean, just get on with your life. Confess your sin before God, Job. What did you, fess up to what you did. Maybe he'll remove his hand from you. So the disciples are asking this common question. Okay, Jesus, there's two options. What, what is it? They want an explanation in the category of cause, but Jesus is going to expand their options, and he's going to give them an explanation in the category of purpose. And it just made me think this week, maybe, maybe we think about our own suffering, pain, disability, whatever, in, in the wrong terms, the wrong categories. Because he says it was neither the, the parents or his fault, but that the works of God may be displayed in his life. We often find ourselves in these situations where we're like, why, God? What, what is going on here? And maybe I, sometimes I think maybe God is looking down on us and saying, listen, I, I'm working here. I know it seems like it's out of control. I know it seems chaotic. I know it seems harsh. And I know it seems very hurtful. But I'm working here, and you've got to trust me on this one. And so God displays his power within this weakness. I got ahead of myself there. Um, I don't know which way I'm going. God displays his power in this weakness. Sorry, hang with me here, guys. And I don't know where I'm at. Okay. Um, thank you. It's, it's right here. There it is. Okay, this is the second point in your outline, and I made the outline for you. You know, you know I, I don't like making outlines. That was for you. So the second point, our suffering and trials should move us towards God seeking his greater purpose rather than merely focusing on causation or the cause. There's always something bigger going on, and we need to look to God in those times for clarity and help and comfort, and we need to help each other to do the same because often in those times we can't see very good. And so he goes on and Jesus says, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is the light of the world that leads us into all truth. Here he says it again. He said it earlier in the gospel. Jesus knows that his time on earth is short. He knows he's going to the cross. And he knows the disciples' lives are short. So he's like, we got to take advantage of the, of the day. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about later. He's talking about now. They have a short time to do what he has come to do. And so let's get to some gospel work. And that's exactly what he's about to do. So after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. And so the man went and washed and he came home Seeing Now this sets the, sets the stage for everything else in this chapter, right? Jesus told us that the man was born blind so that the works of God were going to be revealed. He told us that we must work now. And now in verse six, Jesus himself makes the mud and he heals him. So he sets the stage for the whole question, who is Jesus? Remember, that's what John's all about, right? This gospel has been written that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God. And by believing you might have life in his name. That's what he says in chapter 20. That's why he wrote this. So who is Jesus and how are you going to respond to Jesus who says God's work is going to be shown and then begins the work right then? And the whole controversy that's going to follow after this is designed by God to show how the person and work of Jesus Christ brings out two responses, either rejection and hardness 
blasphemy or acceptance and worship. So imagine you're this guy and you're sitting there and you hear this conversation going on. You're like, ah, oh, here they go again. Yeah, I know, it's my fault. You know, they're talking about me like they always do. And they're probably gonna, you know, just talk about my plight and they're scurry around me because they don't want it to get awkward. And... But then he hears Jesus talking about there's something bigger going on. What do you mean it's not my fault? God's gonna do something? God's gonna show up today? Maybe just a little glimmer of hope raises up in this guy who doesn't have a lot of hope. And then... He hears this. I, I know. And the guy's like, what's happening? Oh, maybe he missed. But that's not what's going on at all. He, he can't see, but Jesus, and I don't know how much saliva it takes to make this mud. It's, it seems a little, little much, but, but, but he does that, and he starts making this, this mud. And he tells him to go to the pool and wash. Now, washing probably made sense at this point. He's got mud all over his face. But this should have made your notes, but it didn't. But his, his faith is demonstrated, albeit the, the beginnings of it, by him obeying what Jesus said and heading into that pool and washing. He believes him. And as much as he can, and when he comes up, he can see this man has been miraculously healed by a man he has not yet seen. Now, of course, the neighbors freak out. They don't know what to do. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him uh, be begging asked, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed it was, some claimed it wasn't. No, he just looks like him. And he's like, look, it's me. I'm the guy. It happened to me. And they, you got to get it. They've seen this guy begging, right? But now he's out. He's walking. He has no cane. He's not holding on to anybody's shoulder. He's walking around. And so they're like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is disbelief, not unbelief. And I think that's important because all of us would probably be disbelieving at this point. Right? This, can't, this doesn't happen. This is miraculous. Are you sure you're the guy? Is that the guy? That's the guy? I'm the guy. Trust me on this one. And so they're divided. He, they, they continue, how, how were your eyes opened? Well, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes, tells him the story. Well, where is this man? Well, I, I, I don't know. Notice the very first thing he says about Jesus. I, I don't know. It's just the guy, the guy they called Jesus. That's all he knows about him. He did this. He put mud on my eyes and this happened. That's all I know. So they want answers. They're curious like us. So they take him to the, to the Pharisees. They, they take him there. And now, now on the day which they did this, it was a Sabbath to which we say, uh-oh. We know what these, how these guys are going to respond. We've seen this movie before, right? The, these guys are going to be triggered, and you can count on it. So some people, they, they bring him. I mean, they're, they're doing nothing wrong. Right? These are the experts in the law. These are the experts. Well, what's, is this a God thing? What's going on here? We've never seen anything like this before. Well, I believe that Jesus did this specifically on the Sabbath. I don't think that was any accident to, to unleash the controversy that's going to reveal either rejection and blasphemy or acceptance and worship. He knew exactly what he was doing here. And the mud making um, is explicitly connected to the Sabbath and the Pharisees. Because remember, they had developed all kinds of, of applications of the prohibition of work on the Sabbath. 
right? Things you could not do. And one of them was kneading dough. Well, the word for making mud is the same word as kneading dough. So they want to bust Jesus on trumped up charges of kneading mud, making mud. That's what they're focused. They got a blind man who can see in front of them. They're focused on the mud pie. You see that? See how twisted these guys are. And, And Jesus did it also to show that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that defines what Sabbath is. To show, the point of Sabbath, what, what, to show the point of what Sabbath rest is, because the point of Sabbath rest is healing, right? Why do you rest? To be healed. That's why you rest. That was the point. It, it's, it's, the Sabbath rest is, it reminds us that we are helpless, and God provides, God creates, God sustains, God heals, and we don't. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Remember, we talked about this. And so what what could be a better day for Jesus to show up, for the Son of God to show up and heal a man and relieve him of the struggles of blindness, to give his parents rest from this, this, this heaviness that they've lived with their whole life? God exalted blessing to broken and weary people, which is why Man, we need to obey God rather than human religious traditions. Sometimes we get things messed up. This is why we have to keep the word of God central in our lives, right? Jesus is the very word of God. He defines what Sabbath is. They don't. They've screwed it up, and he's come to straighten things back out, and they don't like that because Jesus is exposing hearts here. In this whole story, he's, and not just exposing them, but hearts are, hearts are being shaped. And faith isn't just revealed, but faith is strengthened here. And this blind man becomes clearer and clearer about who Jesus is. And stronger and stronger in his courage in defending Jesus against these very powerful adversaries. And this is what Jesus is after. He wants us to see who he is, clearly. He wants us to have courageous faith. And he wants us to worship but he's also there to expose those who will reject and harden their hearts against him. So therefore, the Pharisees asked him, how did he receive his sight? And he, he put mud on my eyes, and he tells them the story. And some of the Pharisees says, well, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But, uh, but others ask, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. This is what happens with Jesus, by the way. Right? His very presence is divisive. You either believe that Jesus who he is who he says he is, or, or you, you cast him out as some lunatic, as some liar. Definitely not the Lord. There is no sitting on the fence with Jesus, right? Sometimes we try and play that game. Oh, he, no, you're, you're for him or you're against him. You embrace him or you reject him. And the Pharisees outright, once again, they rejected him. Then they turned to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the blind guy says, he's a prophet. Now, now think about that. Just a few sentences ago, he's this man they call Jesus. Well, well he, he, he must be a prophet. I mean, think about his life. He's there at the temple. I mean, the prophets are the most powerful people all through the Old Testament. They're, they're people that come and speak and, and work the works of God. He must be one of those. That's, that's the only explanation I can come up with. He must be that that's not good enough. Let's get your parents in here. Let's see what they have to say about it. So they still didn't believe, so they sent for the folks. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Four questions. Is it your son? Was he blind? How does he see? Or does he now see? How did this happen? So they respond. 
We know he's our son, I mean, and, and we know he's born blind, but how he can see now or, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Where were you on that one? I mean, come on. I thought you had my back. You made your bed. You're going to sleep in it. I, I don't know what was going through their minds, but, but what's going on? Why are they responding like this? Why are they not sticking up for their son? Well, look. John tells us. His parents said this because they were afraid. There it is, fear. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This was why his parents said, ask him. He's of age. So his parents had a choice, kind of in the crucible there. We can, we can tell everything we know, but it might cost us everything. Our community, our identity, our status, maybe job. So what do they do? They cave. They're blinded by fear. They can't see. The fear is too strong in their lives. You guys ever been afraid? Facing a situation like that? You don't want to say anything? I've caved before. Well, they cave. He's old enough to speak for himself. And it reminds us that following Jesus will always bring division that comes at a personal cost. There will always be people in your families, your communities, whatever, that once you come to Christ, they don't want anything to do with you. That's, that's just how it goes. And you notice the stakes have been raised now, right? The, the, the net's been cast a little wider. It's not just Jesus being treated with contempt, but it's anyone who pref- professes his name or claims that he is the Messiah. They're also now going to be cast out and treated with contempt, They go back to the boy, second time. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Admit it. He's a Sabbath-breaking sinner. Just say it. We're giving you one last chance here. Tell the truth. What this guy says in response is one of the greatest things that you can ever say to this kind of interrogation. Keep in mind, this guy's probably under 20, right? Like any middle school, high schoolers here. He's probably your age, okay? And he's, and he's in the face of the most powerful people in that community. And they're just like, just say he's a sinner, just not. And you're, at, you're out of here. But he doesn't give in, and, and we shouldn't either. I mean, those of us who know Jesus Christ, I mean, you got to know, you will be treated differently if you stand for Christ. There will be some level of persecution, albeit no one's getting their heads chopped off around here, but in some countries they are. It might be just rub at school. It might be rub in the office, but, but there will be persecution, and, it, and it's probably going to be heating up. But Jesus is worth it. I mean, he gave this guy his sight. He opened his eyes, he said, and he's going to bring him into the kingdom. We're going to see it. Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you for my name's sake. Those that are blessed of God are the ones that stand and say, God, I don't don't have much, but you're everything to me. Look how he responds. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but I see. He's like, listen, I just met the guy. I mean, I just met him. And, and for, for the first 13, 14, 18 years of my stinking life, I sat down there begging. I couldn't see a thing. And he comes up and he heals me and now I see. So I don't know. 
you know, you're the experts. You, you, you deal in all the sin stuff. I don't know about any of that. All I know is I was blind. And now I see, and I love this answer because so often in our lives, we, we, we don't, we don't, testify to, to Jesus because we think we have to have all our theology exactly correct or we, we have to have all the answers ready for any answer raised and, and, and we don't say anything because we think we're going to look like a fool or you know, maybe they're not going to come to Christ. Whatever it is, and, and we shut our mouths, but not this guy. I don't know about you. This morning, man, I couldn't see a thing, but now it's 2020, maybe 2010. Maybe he sees like a falcon. I don't know. But listen, there's something in this story for us today that are sitting here, for those of us who are going on short-term teams this summer, for those who are inviting people in from the community. Um, and we've talked about this before, but what is the most powerful thing that you have that can be a witness to God in your life? What is it? Come on now, it's your testimony. It's your story, right? Now, what, what, what can they say about that? I mean, your testimony, what God has done in your life, it's not about having all your doctrine in a row or all your theology lined up. That's important, sure, but, but that, that, that'll come. But, but your story, the, the way that God's goodness and mercy has come and impacted you, man, your testimony is a powerful witness that cannot be refuted. So maybe when people ask about your, your relationship with God or, or whatnot, maybe you approach that question with, you know what, hey, I'm still learning a lot. There's a lot I just don't know. You know, and I'm, and I'm growing. I certainly don't have the answers, but, but let me tell you what I do know. I was stuck in my sin and selfishness. Man, I, I was at a point in my life where, where I was depressed. I was depending on myself to be acceptable to God and other people. I was a man pleaser. I found my identity in my job and my accomplishments. That's where my identity came from. Anybody? Or, or maybe you went through this horrific time in your life and, and, and you were broken and, and there was a day you woke up and you didn't want to go on anymore. You were done. And it was at that moment, this week, strange. I met Jesus. Someone introduced me to Jesus, and, and I started listening to him. And he was with me through the struggles, through the pain, through the trauma. And somehow, somehow he even used that in my life to bring me to him. And now I've got this a deep abiding joy and peace that I never had before. That's all I know. Man, what can people say to that? They can't say anything to this guy. They can't say nothing. And I don't know if he's a sinner. I just know that I can see now. That's all I know. He stands for what he knows is true. He could have taken the easy way out. He could have said, look, yeah, you're probably right. I got a lot of stuff I want to go see. Are we done here? But he stands, man. This guy's my hero. So they asked him, what did he do to you? See, they're, they're looking for specifics. They're missing the huge miracle. They want to know the mud. How did he open your eyes? And the guy's like, listen, we've talked about this. Saw, spit, mud, eyes, wash, see. You guys, we've already talked about this. You guys don't want to listen? Then he gets a little saucy with him. I love this. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, right? You can just hear them. It's like my students used to flip the water bottles, remember, make them sit on the table years ago. And I mean, they probably still do it. But the first time they'd do it and they'd hit and they, all the students would run out of the room like they saw a witch. They'd be like, whoa, you know, thinking that was the coolest thing ever. And I'm just like, when he drops this line, it's the same. It's just like, whoa, do you know who you're talking to here? He doesn't care. He's got this boldness, 
right? He can see for the first time in his life. I've told you. You see him moving. A man they call Jesus. I know he's a prophet. Now I'm his disciple. Why, do you want to follow him too? Because I am. I'm going to follow this guy. So they hurled insults, of course, at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. Well, we're the, the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Remember in chapter 8, they were all about Abraham, right? We're descendants of Abraham. Jesus rebukes him. They want to kill him. Now we're all about Moses. Well, Moses pointed to Jesus. Abraham pointed to Jesus. He's the fulfillment. They can't see it. They, they, don't, they, they, they don't want to see it. And they're blind. This man answers, I love it. He's probably like, well, that's strange. I mean, that's really remarkable. You guys don't know where he comes from yet. He opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. They probably taught him that. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. See his knowledge progressing a little farther. This guy they call Jesus. He's a prophet. I'm his disciple. He's from God. He's moving towards a better understanding. And at this point, these guys lose their minds. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They, they've heard enough. And this gets really nasty. This isn't Genesis 3 sin. This is the, the reason you, you were like you were is because there's something wrong with you. You're a sinner. We know it. God knows it. Get out. You, you have no place in the family of God anymore. And he's left maybe more alone now than he ever was sitting there sinning because he stood up for what he saw and what he believed. He got what his parents were threatened. He actually went through with it, and now he's the one cast out. Story's not over. Now it gets good. Look who shows up. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Jesus has been absent for most of this dialogue. Right? But every question has really been about him. Right? This man's not on trial. His parents weren't the ones on trial. They're after Jesus. And it's always like that. If people come at you because you have faith in Christ, it's because they're really going after him, right? Remember, he's going to tell us later in this gospel, the reason they hate you is because they, remember, they hated me first. So when people are attacking you because of your faith, at the end of the day, it's always about the biblical Jesus. That's who they're after. And so Jesus speaks to this man using his favorite title, the Son of Man. It's, remember, it's that divine title, it's not just a, the human one. It's, it's the divine title from Daniel 7 where the, the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and the Ancient of Days, he receives a kingdom and glory and power. It's, it's a picture of Jesus resurrecting and, and receiving everything from the Father. So this man replies to Jesus and Jesus gives one of the most direct responses in the gospel. This is the first time that he's actually seeing Jesus. Do you know who the Son of Man is? Who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, let me paraphrase, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. I love that line. 
There, there's so much this guy doesn't know. But, but he seems to have taken a decisive step and he's moved from unbelief to belief. He crossed over. And Jesus is going to bring this guy into the family of God where he's going to, have, where he's going to find healing and belonging in a real community that's going to have his back. A family that's not going to be, excuse me, it's not going to be blind to a, by, by the fear of what others think or say. A family that's not going to be blind to the religious traditions of the past. One that's not going to be blind by their power for, and desire for status because Jesus has opened their eyes just like he's opened many of your eyes. And now they see. And the man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. Mm. It's a beautiful progression of faith. Remember last week, Jay said, what is the only logical response when you see Jesus for who he is? Man, you fall down and you worship him. You did this for me. You worship him. Jesus said earlier in the gospel, you guys remember this, he said, I haven't come to bring condemnation. I've come to bring life, right? I, the Father didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, but, but so that the world would be saved through me. So this next verse is a little tricky here. What's he talking about? Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The mission of Jesus was not primarily condemnation. That, that wasn't why he came. He came to save and rescue and restore and heal, give sight to the blind. But it was by necessity, that very mission would, call, would result in division and judgment. Remember Simeon in the temple talking about Jesus when he was just a, a little boy. He said, this Jesus, he's going to be a sign spoken against that would bring about division. And we've seen that wherever he goes, there's division. Wherever he goes, you're either saying, you're the son of man, or you're saying, you're a, you're a heretic, you're a fool, you're a sinner, get out. Charles Spurgeon, great theologian, he said, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. I just thought, man, that's so true here. The Pharisees conjure up one last question. What? Are we blind too? Insert the sarcasm. Wait, okay, you're talking you talk about us? You think we're the ones that are blind here? And then Jesus gives the perfect response. He says, listen, if you were blind... You wouldn't be guilty of your sin, but now that you claim to see, your, your guilt remains. He's like, listen, if you knew you were blind, I, I could help you see, look what I can do to a blind man. I can give him perfect sight. But for those that think they know, for those they think they have 20-20, for, for those that think they have all the answers and, and Jesus is a crutch and you, you don't need him, you're blind and you're lost and you're stuck in your sin and you stand condemned. That's, that's the way all of us begin our lives. Those who come out are the ones who receive Jesus Christ, and he helps us to see. Now, my daughter, hey, Kate, uh, she's, got this, she's got this newer Kia Telluride. I don't know if you guys know this car. Now, I got a, I got a Chevy truck, right? It's got a little backup cam. You see a little... When you shift into reverse in her car, it's like Sputnik is looking down on you. It's like, or whatever, Elon Musk is flying around up there now. I mean, you can see everything. It somehow like triangulates, and there's algebra going on there, I'm sure, because I have no idea what's happening. But you can, you can literally see, you know, there's a tree over here, there's this over here, and you can't see it, but, but 
It tells you. You, you know it's there. And I was thinking about that, and I'm thinking, there is so much of our lives that we just can't see. There's so much about God we can't see, so much about suffering and evil, so, so, so much about pain and, and meaning and on and on. There's just so much in our lives that we just can't see and we need help. We have this distorted view of what the world's like, and Jesus has come to show us what, what, the, actual, what the physical world's all about and the spiritual wor- world. He is the light of the world. He wants to lead us out of darkness. But these Pharisees, man, they refuse his help and they remain blind. He, he wants to expose the darkness. He wants them to come out, but, but they don't want it. And I fear that's true of some of you that are sitting here today. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you think, no, I'm good. I mean, that's great. You guys go to church, sing your songs. Great. Not, not for me. You, and you think you're fine. But I'm telling you, if you reject Jesus Christ and what he offers you, and you will regret it for eternity. There is no other way to see clearly than by the provision that God has sent. These Pharisees were so confident and they were so wrong. I knew a pastor that once used to say, um, hey, I'm always confident and sometimes right. These guys are always confident and always wrong. This guy is not from God. Wrong. This guy uh, is, is a sinner. We know that. Wrong. We don't know where this guy's from. Well, that's actually partially right. You don't know where he's from. And then finally, you are steeped in your sin. That's why you're blind. Wrong. Confident, always, but wrong. My brother Jim's going to start making his way up here. The way for us to truly see in this life is to know that each of us was born blind, spiritually blind. And the guilty ones who stand condemned already are those that are so sure They've got everything filled out or figured out. The ones that are saved, the ones that are rescued, the ones that are healed are the ones like this blind man who say, man, all I know is I'm blind, I'm blind. There's nothing I can do about it. I need a miracle if I'm going to be able to see. And Jesus shows up and he heals this man for the glory of God and then he opens his spiritual eyes so he can believe. And so it is with each one of us. Only when we realize how blind we are and how in need we are will Jesus show up in our lives and he'll give us sight. This is my friend Jim. He was blind once too. But Jesus opened his eyes. Jim, why don't you share your story with us? Good morning. morning. I was born blind and this is my story of how God opened my eyes. It started early. And as a, a fourth grader in Sunday school, I looked up at Mrs. Walker holding her little New Testament. And it was shaking because she had Parkinson's disease. And she would go by the fourth grade boys and I would follow her with my eyes and she was telling us stories about the Lord Jesus. And God began to draw me, but I ran away from him. Two words probably characterized my life, seeking and running. I was better at running than I was seeking. Every time he drew me to him, he... He touched my heart, and yet I ran away. 
And so I regarded Jesus as just a good man, a good teacher, and his church as a social and psychological crutch, one, of course, uh, only designed for mental morons and intellectual weaklings. I lived selfishly, and I was very proud of being the architect of my own life. From an early age, I had a consuming and driving goal to become a heart surgeon. Another Dr. Kildare from the TV series in the early 60s. After high school, I took off for the University of Washington because I thought that the pearly gates led to the University of Washington Medical School. During my junior year, I began finally to be honest with myself. And as I looked within, my life was a mess, spiritually, morally, bankrupt. Before the Christmas break, I was invited to a Campus Crusade for Christ college life meeting by my girlfriend. Our relationship was just about over, and yet she pleaded with me. She said, please come to this meeting. So I reluctantly attended, hoping to um, listen and then take off early. But when I arrived, uh, I saw a bunch of wonderful students that were laughing and talking and sharing and listening to a message from the Bible. I left that meeting with only one thought on my mind. It was something that the, the campus director had said in his talk. And he mentioned a phrase I had never heard in my life. You could have a personal relationship with Jesus by faith. During the Christmas break, it just so happens that a close buddy shared the four spiritual laws with me, and finally all this religious lingo and Bible verses began to mess my head up. I was very, I was churning inside. So after Returning from the break and winter quarter started, I met with a crusade director again. We had lunch at the, um, the Husky Den on campus. Mac told me how his life had changed because of Jesus. He also told me the Bible said that God loved me and that he gave up his only son, on the cross for my sins. Then he pointed to a verse in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 3.20. And the Lord Jesus was standing outside of the Laodicean church, knocking. And he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Mac looked at me and said, Jim, these words are for you. And they were. 
And so right there over a dried up Husky burger, amidst thousands of students studying, sleeping, napping, playing cards, having fun, telling jokes, I prayed a very simple prayer asking Jesus to come into the door of my life and be my personal savior. I was tired of being a second string quarterback and I asked Jesus to be the commander of my life. That moment happened 56 years ago. And all these years since that time, I've had the privilege of telling the story of Jesus. Because if you're blind, he will make you see. Paul said, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To him be the glory. This is a, this is a great time to be at Grace. We're in the middle of John. And, and again, if you've been walking with Christ for a long time, you, you're going to just, we're just going to just, truths are going to be open. It's going to be amazing these next few weeks and months as we finish up. If you're new and, and you're just kind of learning what, what the gospel is all about, then we're in John. It's a great place for you to learn and grow. And also um, during second service, it's over now, but next week we're, we're doing this foundations class for the next six weeks. If you just want to learn how to, you know, what the Bible's all about, to learn to grow what Jesus is all about, you have questions, man, go up, show up for that class. It's just a couple great guys that, that would be willing to talk and um, go through a little booklet with you. Anyway, it's a great time. So I want to pray. There's prayer teams on the sides. I know these guys. They're legit. They would love to pray with and for you and just talk to you. So let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you are the one who comes and you see us. Man, you see us in, in all of our brokenness and shame and disrepair. and dis, I mean, you, you see us. And you don't walk around us, you walk toward us. And you open our eyes and you cause us to see things that we would never see without you. And I thank you for that. Continue to give us eyes to see you more and more as we continue to walk and grow. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for coming out today. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.